You can be seated. Uh, my name is Alistair. If we've never met, I am the lead pastor here, or as you just heard, I am the Reverend Canon Dr. Alistair Brian Stern. And if you ever have heard my titles before, I hope they just remind you of how deeply insecure I am and how much external validation I need, which is partially true. And if that's you, you're welcome here, and grace is really good for that. Uh, there really is no good way to take off a mask. Thanks for stealing my joke and thunder, Amelia. Uh, you know, like, there really isn't. And I find if you start observing this in society and the different methods by which people take off masks or demask, uh, it is amazing. And, and Paul just offered this joke for the taking. We're all, we're all on the road to Damascus. That's Paul Tresco for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I saw a commercial the other day, and it opened with epic architecture, and then dramatic slow motion shots of people smiling and enjoying, you know, enjoying one another. And then the voiceover boomed as if from heaven, and it said, what you find here is different. And I'm thinking, it is different. Art and beauty and moments you don't want to forget thinking, I want to go to there. And then the voice from paradise said, the West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> Brands really have embraced the power of story. And I suppose the mall has something to do with art and beauty and memories you don't want to forget, I guess. But it's a little jarring. You know, the passage we just read from Luke 8 names Mary and Joanna, Susanna, along with many other women who sponsored the ministry of Jesus. If there was a voiceover, it would say of this passage, the parables of Jesus brought to you by women. And for ancient ears, that would be incredibly jarring. Remember, Luke is writing a historical narrative that is well-researched to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And in his time and place, in the ancient context, women were held in low esteem, such low esteem that they couldn't even testify in court. So when Luke includes details like this, it doesn't lend credibility to the movement of Jesus, let alone that all of these women, Luke says, came out of sordid pasts, being healed from demons and what have you. So why include details like this? That would hurt your story if you're weaving a fictional account. I just want to remind you, little details like this that we can gloss over are actually incredibly important. And so to be clear, Christianity, when uninhibited, empowers and elevates women. Amen. Amen. Luke stresses this point. And in our passage last week, we looked at how Jesus dignified and lifted up an unnamed sinful woman as an exemplar of faith. And then immediately Luke tells us about all these women who provided from their own personal financial means so that the gospel could go forth to more people. So let's get an amen for the women who made it possible for the gospel to go forth then and now. Amen. amen. And let's remember how profoundly countercultural this was. So this morning, I want to focus on the parables brought to you by women, uh, the parable of the sower and the lamp under a jar. And together, these parables emphasize the importance of how we hear. The importance of how we hear. And Luke wants us to see that we can be among these mighty women if we learn to hear the way that they heard. So I have three things we're going to explore, as usual. Uh, a hearing test, good soil, and healthy hearing. 
a hearing test, good soil, and healthy hearing. Turn your attention to the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, and try to imagine this with me. Jesus is here, and he steps onto our stage. He's wearing plaid, and he tells a parable about a farmer who's scattering a lot of seed, but most of the seed ends up in useless places and withers and dies. And then after this story about a farmer, Jesus concludes, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus sits back down and, and we clap after I force you to clap because, well, it's Jesus. We should clap. But do we have ears to hear? Jesus often taught in parables but was not often understood. Look at verses 9 through 10. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they're in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus doesn't want people to understand the parables? Is that what he's saying? Not exactly. Jesus speaks and teaches in such a way that reveals hardness of heart and an unwillingness to hear. And so we need to be careful. Are we just nodding our heads when we hear the parables because of, well, it's Jesus. But this is a parable about seeing but not seeing, hearing but not hearing. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we actually spiritually blind and deaf? As a reminder, in the Hebraic world, hearing was not just about comprehension. It's not just about acquiring knowledge as information through your sound holes. If you really hear, you like that one, sound holes? Can that be in our repertoire? <laughs> Mind buckets, what is it? Mind calendars and sound holes. This is going to be a good one online, sorry. <laughs> if you really hear, you digest the content and you live it out. So hearing involves doing. So when Isaiah prophesied to Israel, he was saying, you've seen so much of God, and yet you still live as if you've never seen God at all. You've heard so much about the Lord your God, but you live as if you've never heard anything at all. And I think remembering that helps some. And so as his disciples lean into Jesus, Jesus says, listen and hear me. Don't just see me, really see me. Don't just hear the words, but really hear them, mark them, digest them, live in light of what I tell you. See, many of the parables of Jesus are not readily understood, but this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want us to understand the parables. As we see in our passage, Jesus eagerly shares the secrets of the kingdom with his disciples. And so the parables, they're not understood just for, you know, the elite and the privileged. There's a kind of insider knowledge, but only in the sense that you must come to Jesus to understand what he's talking about. And so we can trust that Jesus does, in fact, want the opposite state for us than what Isaiah described. And indeed, that's what Isaiah wants for us as well, because he goes on to say that, you know, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. But if you would turn, you'd be healed. Jesus wants us to turn to him and be healed so that we can truly see and truly hear. So the disciples lean in and Jesus explains the parable to him. And I want to invite us to lean in as well. He says in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. 
The seed is the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus as the word of God has been made flesh, God dwelling among us, taking up residence in our neighborhoods to seek and save the lost. But this message isn't always received. It's a lot like the game telephone. It starts with a lot of clarity. Perhaps you begin with the phrase, Preston is a charming southern gentleman. It's true. And if I whispered it in your ear and on and on, by the time it got back to the room, it'd be something like, Preston is an alarming soccer gurney man. (laughs) This is also true, but the original message has been lost. This parable unveils how in refusing to hear or only partially hearing, the message of the gospel over time gets lost. This parable unveils how we can refuse to hear or only partially hear. And to help diagnose why this is the case, Jesus tells us about three places. Three places. Along the path, on the rock, which is often a good thing, but in this case, not a good thing, and among the thorns. And each place is a unique way that people hear the gospel, but they all have one thing in common. The message gets lost. Now, before I say anything else, I think it is important to recognize that this is a missionary kind of parable. It's told to help prepare his disciples become apostles. They're going to be sent, scattered as sent ones to proclaim the gospel. And it's probably not exact math. It's not going to be three quarters all the time. But essentially, Jesus is saying that the reality is when you go out and proclaim the gospel, the majority of people are not going to respond favorably to your message. And as a church that exists for the sake of others, as we proclaim the gospel in this place, in this city, we should not be surprised if that's the response we receive as well. But there's another reason Jesus tells his parable. It's a hearing test. It's a hearing test. A few years ago, I was finding it hard to hear people in conversation. I did a lot of touring when I was younger. I was worried that maybe it was related to that. And so I went and I got a hearing test. It looked a lot like this. And has anyone had a hearing test? They're stressful. Like I was sweating in that little booth because you hear these beeps and sounds and then they like play these words and they're like repeat the words and then there's restaurant noise and like the sentences don't make sense, like dog in a top hat eating cheese and you're just, what is happening? So anyways, I go through the test feeling very stressed. I sit down with the doctor and he's like, look, your hearing is fine. Your hearing is fine. And here's what his diagnosis was. As you get older... It's not unusual to find conversations difficult to follow or find your comprehension decreasing in loud environments. This comes with aging. In some environments, I kid you not, this was his advice, you may want to ask if the music can be turned down. (laughs) So the diagnosis was be an old man who asks for the music to be turned down. We won't always like the diagnosis. But if we truly want to pursue our well-being and health, we need to go through testing from time to time. We need to go through the testing so we can be diagnosed. Jesus wants to test our hearing. And it's not all that comfortable, but it's good and necessary. So this parable helps us assess ourselves, not someone else. So don't take this parable and think about where Bub is. Take this parable and think about where you are. So with this in mind, let's think about these three places. First, are we along 
the path? Are we along the path? Jesus says, the ones along the path are those who've heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not, be, uh, they may not believe and be saved. And I think the most common response to this location is, nah, come on. I mean, we're modern people here. You don't actually believe in Satan, the devil, do you? A spiritual foe? Nah. And to retort, I quote the usual suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The most dangerous enemy you'll ever have is the one that you do not know exists. The path is the least conducive place for the seed. It's impossible for it to take root. It can only be trampled on by foot traffic. And I believe the issue is a kind of superficiality. Jesus says the word is present in the heart. People hear it and receive it. But the word hasn't been adorned in their hearts. It hasn't settled in and bloomed. It's not cherished. There's an initial but temporary growth. For example, when you limit the gospel just to an idea, well, ideas come and go. So when competing ideas or alternative explanations of the meaning of life are offered to you, it won't take all that much persuasion to change your mind if the gospel isn't seen as the immense treasure that it is. It's just an idea. Ideas come and go. You see, when we're along the path, G, uh, Satan comes along and he offers false gospels. He offers false gospels to replace the true gospel. Anything that will make Jesus appear less majestic and glorious and worthy of our full attention and devotion in life. And any alternative will do and Satan is happy to custom tailor it for you. And I could list off a bunch of things but usually it comes along with an accusation because Satan is the accuser. He says, you don't believe, do you? It's nonsense. It's not possible. It's not scientific. You'll lose your credibility. It's not worth it. So go in this direction instead. And if you really got to have some Jesus, like go in that Jesus direction, but make sure it's devoid of any scriptural truth and clarity. Craft Jesus in your own image and trick yourself into believing you're following him. Is your hearing impaired, impaired because you're along the path? Second, are we on the road or on the rock? Are we on the rock? Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. So if you're on the rock, you're only doing marginally better than the people along the path. You see, the message, it goes a bit deeper into your heart and soul. You can actually see that the gospel is good news of great joy. You receive this message with joy. It gives you joy even for time. Once again, though, it's initial but temporary growth. And testing is the issue. It's better understood as trials. And trials throughout the scripture relate to persecution or pressures that test your allegiance to the purposes of God. Trials are... Pressures that test your allegiances to the purposes of God. And you see, unlike the pressures Christians face all throughout the world today, none of us are facing the threat of death, and yet at times trials can feel like our life is on the line. And you especially feel this way when Jesus puts you at odds with culture. 
You know, you don't want to follow Jesus in such a way that you might face ridicule or scrutiny or actually stand outside of the new conforming cult status quo. Or perhaps the message of Jesus puts you at odds with some family and friends and you're uncomfortable in those conversations. Or perhaps you're grappling with the cost of discipleship, putting to death unhealthy desires or leaving behind old aspirations and reordering your life around the way of Jesus. It feels like a trial. Can you do it? You see, if we're not truly gripped by the message of Jesus, and more importantly, if we don't see the beauty of who Jesus is in and of himself, we will fall away in times of trial when we face resistance or pressure or the cost of discipleship. So is your hearing impaired because you're on the rock? And lastly, are we among the thorns? Jesus says in verse 14, And for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So seed takes root, but it doesn't mature. It's choked out. That's a very violent image in this one. It's choked out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of, of life. And it indicates that the issue is that we start to seek security and comfort in sources other than God himself, where the blessings of this life become ultimate things instead of subservient things. And how can you not identify with this? You may feel like, oh, you know, I'm not really in those other locations, but the cares and riches and pleasures of life, the cares of life, will I have my needs met? Will I live a fulfilling life? Will my health ever improve? These sort of cares. The riches of life, will I ever be financially secure? Will I ever own a home? Will I ever have enough? The pleasures of life, how will I stay entertained as I wait for season three of The Witcher? Where will I vacation next? Who will I be with next? You see, when these things take up more space in our hearts, they choke out the gospel. And you might love Jesus, I don't, I, but then this, this other stuff in life, instead of being subservient things, become ultimate things. And so your roots aren't adequately nourished. The thorns actually take all the nourishment. And Jesus says, you don't mature. You don't grow up and thrive because your hearts and your minds are primarily occupied not with things of the kingdom, but with things of this earth. And so the seed withers and our faith dies. So is your hearing impaired because you're among the thorns? This is a sobering parable. We can see and hear and yet remain spiritually blind and deaf. And it's especially sobering, I think, because you can be along the path or on the rock or among the thorns and maintain an appearance of religion and spirituality. Think about it. In all of these examples, a person is open to faith in spiritual things. They put themselves in the right places. You might even go to church weekly or frequently. You listen to podcasts. You read the books. You may have even uh, kept spiritual practices from time to time. All of these places can have the appearance of religion and spirituality, but what Jesus is saying, they're devoid of its power. You see, this is the danger of hearing, 
but not hearing. This is the danger of hearing that becomes detached from doing. This is the danger of reducing the gospel down to just intellectual ideas that you have to agree with versus a living reality in the Lord in which you live and move and have your being with Christ. So how are you faring through this hearing test? Now, if you're like me, you see yourself in one or all of these places. And if you're like me, you're probably feeling a little overwhelmed. How can I possibly be good soil? Because that's what this parable is all about, being good soil. How can I be good soil when I identify so much with all these other places? But I want to invite you to stay with me. Because in the events that immediately follow this parable... We do see examples of good soil, and they're there for our encouragement. So let's turn to our second point, good soil. Now, the examples Luke gives us immediately following this section of Scripture are a little surprising. A demon-possessed man, a diseased woman, and a wealthy elder statesman, as Roger Revel would call him. And all of them are good soil. In chapter 8, verse 26 through 39, and we'll look at these in more detail in weeks to come. This is just a survey. Jesus encounters a man possessed with many demons, a legion of demons. He had, and no one had the power to help this man. So what kind of soil would he be? He's along the path. Satan is wreaking havoc in this man's life and seems ready and predisposed to snatch any seed scattered in this man's life. And yet, and yet, Jesus does what no one else could do. Jesus proclaims the gospel in power, and this man is healed and made whole. And he even becomes an ambassador of the gospel to his neighborhood. Now, we would be tempted to write this guy off as bad soil, but it turns out he's good soil. Next, in verses 40 through 56 of chapter 8, Jesus encounters a woman who's been sick. She's diseased, and like the demoniac, Nobody was able to help her. She had a hemorrhaging condition for 12 years. So what soil would she be? She's on the rock. Her life hasn't been easy. It's been one trial after another. No health, no ability to work. In an ancient context, she's considered unclean, not able to participate in community life. And yet, she endures and somehow still has hope, is still willing to reach out and touch the hem of Christ's cloak. She's good soil, even though it looks like the trials should choke out the seed. She's good soil. And in the same verses, Jesus encounters Jairus, and he's the elder statesman, the the leader of the synagogue. He's wealthy. He's well-known. He's got reputation. Well, what soil is he? He's among the thorns. The cares and the riches and pleasures of life look like it would choke out the seed. And yet... Jairus sees that these things can't help him when he's faced with death. He pursues Jesus in desperation because his daughter is about to die. It'd be easy to say, well, Jairus has it all. He can go hire the medical team. He can go hire the experts. He can solve this on his own, but Jairus knows he can't. That there is an enemy that not even his best can defeat. And so he runs to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Telethakume, rise, little girl. Jairus also turns out to be good soil. So a demon-possessed man, a diseased woman, an elder statesman, they're all good soil. And so the point of the parable is not that we're hopelessly destined to be along the path or on the rock 
or among the thorns. That is not the point. The point is this. None of us are free from the pressures that work against faith. But the word has the power to overcome these pressures. It doesn't matter if you're facing spiritual oppression or opposition or resistance to your faith or struggling with the cares and riches of life. You can be destitute or wealthy beyond measure. Even so, you can be good soil. Jesus says, here's the ingredients for good soil. Verse 15. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So that in the good soil, they're those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So first and foremost, you cherish the gospel, the message about Christ as immeasurable treasure. The trustworthy message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the utmost worst of them. And you hold fast to this with an honest and good heart. The pastor I knew would always encourage us to say, all I know of me to all I know of Jesus. I think that represents an honest and good heart. All I know of me in this moment, everything that I am and understand about myself, to all I know of Jesus in this moment. An honest and good heart, journeying toward Christ, with Christ, for Christ. And with patience, you let the word, Christ himself, transform your life so that you become more like him. And this is what it is to bear fruit, even a hundredfold. We think of results, no. It's a human being fully alive like Christ compared to a human being toward death apart from Christ. There is not a big enough metaphor to adequately convey the life that is available with Christ compared to the life apart from Christ. It might not always feel like that at times. Thus the word patience. You're being transformed slowly one degree by degree into the glory of Christ. In respect to this parable, St. Augustine wrote, when God is the sower and we're the ground, we're called to work to be good ground. When God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. So how do we work to be good ground? Let me be clear. This isn't about earning the seed or the word. The gospel is always a gift. Augustine isn't saying that we can earn what Jesus has done for us, or that we have to earn it to keep it. He's talking about the effort that every single person has to put into their faith, otherwise it withers. Like gardening, then, you can tend to your circumstances, but the power is in the seed, not your efforts alone. So yes, you can plant the seed, that takes some effort. You can tend to the soil, but the growth is in the power of the seed. So you can do some gardening and some watering, you can provide the right Conditions, but the seed grows organically. Whatever it may be, that seed, when it matures, will bear fruit. And so when the gospel grips us, Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. We abide in him, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to organically grow in us. Love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, 
These sort of things start to organically grow in us. And, and the change is sometimes immediate and sometimes it's not, but it's always persistence and happening. It's persistent. It takes patience, but it's happening. And it'll happen with your effort. And here's the good news. It'll happen without your effort as well. It's Jesus himself shaping and crafting you into his likeness through his body, a community of faith, reminding you of truth, helping you hold on to it, asking you questions, challenging you at times, encouraging you, comforting you through his spirit in your soul and through his spirit working through this body. Christ causes a growth to happen in you that could not happen in any other way. And so the moment you come to him, the moment you turn to him to be healed, to truly see, to truly hear, he is delighted to take root and implant himself in your life. And he has the power to overcome all the pressures against your faith. You want to know why? Because Jesus is the word of God. So he's not just the farmer who scatters the seed. He is the seed. Jesus is the seed planted along the path. He's overcome Satan. He's withstood the temptations. And so we can hear the gospel because Christ has overpowered our enemy and he no longer has the power to snatch it away. Jesus, he's the seed planted in the rocky ground. He was faithful and preserved through trial that caused him to sweat blood before his death. He endured the cross, scorning its shame for our sake. He's faithful where we are faithless. Because Jesus withstood the greatest trials, we can withstand our trials. And Jesus is the seed among the thorns. He surrendered completely to the Father's will. He let go of the cares of the world. He wasn't overcome by the deceitfulness of riches. He followed when we could not. Jesus is the sower and he is the seed. He is the seed that was rooted out of good soil, that came down into this bad soil and overcame it so that we may have life. St. John writes in his gospel, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We might be worried about what place we are. And Jesus cares about what place we are. but He's not worried about it. Because he has the power to overcome all things that work against your faith. All trials, all temptations, you name it. Hold fast to the word. And when you can't, be reminded that the word holds fast to you. One last point, it'll be quick. Just an entire parable, don't worry about it. Immediately after the parable of the sower, Jesus tells the parable of the lamp. And this helps us get an idea of what healthy hearing is all about. Verses 16 through 18. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. I'm not going to go into all the details. Here's the point. It's really clear. Consider carefully how you listen. If you have ears to hear what Jesus is saying, you will receive his word and allow the message to reconfigure your life. 
You don't get to compartmentalize Jesus. The message then can't be hidden. It'll shine forth through your life. It will become evident over time that you are an imperfect person stumbling forward with grace. And there is a growth happening in your life that Christ is working and it shines forth in a way that is observable over time to others. As long as you're hearing him and weakly trying to do what he says. And then of no surprise, our passage ends with this little story in verses 20 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brother are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I tried this with my mom. It didn't go so well. Here's the point. There is something more intimate to Jesus than flesh and blood than mothers and brothers. There's something more intimate to him. It's those who hold fast to him and do what he says. This is what creates a bond deeper than blood because it shows that the love of God, which knows no measures, has been shed abroad in your heart and you're loving Christ in return by doing what he says, not out of obligation or shame or guilt or pressure, but out of love. The only thing that matters, says St. Paul, is faith expressing itself in love. Friends, I want you to believe the right things and think the right things. That's important. Gosh, I'd rather you be wrong on a few things and love well. Faith expressing itself in love. Hearing and doing. This is what matters to Jesus. This is what good soil is. So in summary, you hear the word. You hold fast to it with an honest and good heart. And you bear fruit with patience. It's not a, a rush. And in this process, you don't hide it, but you let it shine forth through your life. Simply put, you hear the word of God and you put it into practice. One step at a time. Stumbling with grace. May it be so. Let's pray.